hello and thank you so much for joining us here at Quarto Kids Cast. I'm your host, Mel Shewitt, and today I'm joined by Angela McAllister, author of A Bedtime Full of Stories. I hope that the stories will speak to them because they deliver some universal wisdom, some universal truths about what is good, about what is right and fair. A Bedtime Full of Stories is the latest book in the World Full of series. The newest addition to the pack is an illustrated treasury of 50 bedtime stories from around the world, each perfect to read aloud before bed. Included within are magical tales that are from both well-known classics and lesser-known treasures from places like Europe, Africa, Asia, Australia and Oceania, North America, and the Middle East and Latin America. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Angela McAllister, author of A Bedtime Full of Stories. Hello, I'm Angela McAllister, and I'm the author of A Bedtime Full of Stories, which is the latest book in the World Full of Stories series. I have a million questions for you about the whole series, but let's go ahead and start by focusing on the first book. Why did you decide to explore bedtime, which might be the most perfect um, thing to explore for young children right now? Well, I have to come clean and say that that was a choice. Um, My editors came up with that theme this time, and I'm really pleased that they did because, you know, it gave me an opportunity to really curate a collection that um, that, that, that was that had a good uh, bedtime tone because the other books um, have a mixture of stories, a mixture of themes, and some may be more challenging than others. And so for bedtime stories, I was able to weed out the witches or the ogres, no ghouls, no spiders or snakes, nothing at all that might induce a bad dream and just uh, collect together stories that would, you know, send you off with good visions, good images in your mind, with a smile on your face, something funny, just a, a lovely feeling before you go to sleep. And I think that's really worth doing. So um, I'm yeah, thrilled to pieces to put this collection together. Yeah, like I said, it's kind of perfect that it's coming out now, too, around the time change, which, as we all know, can sometimes Mm -hmm. confuse bedtime a little bit. That's true. Let's dig a little bit deeper then. Tell me about your research process, because if I'm I'm so curious if you didn't come up with bedtime and you were told, like, how about this idea of exploring bedtime stories? Mm -hmm. Where do you go from there? What kind of research do you do to make sure that the book is inclusive and includes bedtime stories and rituals from across the world well uh, <laughs> it's 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 just a matter of reading and reading and reading and reading and reading and I love it and it takes it takes several months to put the collections together before I start writing myself so uh, I've got access to huge number of of books of libraries uh, you know libraries that I visit libraries online all sorts of collections and uh, you know it brings out the, the the treasure hunter in me I guess because as soon as I've got my theme then I know what I'm looking for and I've got my antenna out and I can sit and just read and read and sometimes it's a matter of looking through lists of story titles in a big, you know, some books may have 200 stories in them, some of the old collections or more even. So sometimes it's a matter of scouring through until something rings a bell with you. But of course, many stories are just have been, the the title is just the name of the hero or the heroine. and You haven't got a clue what the subject matter is about. So really just have to tuck in and read and explore stories. Um, There's no shortcut to it. And I, I do collect 
you know, as the years have gone by and as I've been working on these collections, if I come across something I absolutely love, I, I will save it, hoping that it might be, I might better squeeze it in um, in the future. So I have now got you know, banks of stories that I've collected myself too that I can draw on. Um, but really, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful voyage of discovery. Each, each book sends me off um, to the library and, uh, and I love it. But it does take several months because... Uh, I have to make sure, as you say, that I have a cultural mix, that I have a mix, a gender mix, that I have a really diverse selection of stories, but also that I'm not repeating a story that may structurally be the same as a story from one of the other collections. So, you know, I can only do a Cinderella type story once. Um, uh, and that becomes, funny enough, very limiting as you go on, because many stories are versions of, of similar themes. Um, and then I have the problem that I may have a terrific story about a, a subject matter from Egypt and I have another terrific story with a, a similar subject from Russia and I have to make a choice. I can't repeat animals. I can't repeat character types. There's so much that is repetitive that, that, that you discover over and over again. So there are a lot of um, reasons for throwing stories out. It takes a long, long while to find 50 that then sit together and also... 50 of a good mix of lengths so that I always have, uh, you know, trying to have a good mixture of, of one page stories for a quick read and maybe for younger children. And then uh, going on to a three page story, which might either have a more sophisticated subject matter or it is just a longer uh, meteor story. So, uh, yeah, it, it's um, it, it's wonderful. It's a long process. I'm just blown away. I'm thinking about how because. A couple of my questions are going to be, what are the most challenging parts of creating these books? And yeah. and what interesting, you know, stories ended up on the cutting room floor. But you're not just thinking about each book as an individual book. You're thinking about the whole series and not repeating stories or characters across the whole series. That's amazing. Well, it, it does fill my head rather. I mean, it makes my, you know, my kids are probably sounds a bit distracted half the time. I'm always sort of slipping a story into conversation here or there. But and also, you know, quite often in an evening, I'll end up telling a story here or there, too. So they're very, they're very uppermost in my mind, um, not not just because they are part of my of my work and what I do, but also because they speak to me as a as an individual, as I hope they speak to to other readers and you know there are stories in there that I've drawn on myself when I've had a you know tough decision to make about something or uh, you know it's, it's been a challenge and um and I've been able to to, to draw on those stories because they're, they're they're so rich with um you know with wisdom so uh yeah they're very much part of my everyday um consciousness too so uh they're not far from my mind. A lot of these stories are passed down, you know, oral tradition, they're written down and they're all different lengths, you know, they include different characters. So what is your process like for paring down so much information into a single story for these kinds of books that you make? Oh gosh, that is the hardest part. That is the hardest part because so many of these stories are, I mean, I have to, I have to squeeze 50 stories into 128 pages. So I know exactly the word count for my one page, two page and three page stories. Um, but when I'm sourcing the stories, of course, you know, if I'm excited by a particular story, I'll persuade myself that I'll be able to, 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 to reduce it down to 600 words because I so desperately want to share it. And when it actually comes to doing it, sometimes it can seem almost impossible. And I feel as if I'm just offering, uh, you know, such a small version of, of something rich and wonderful. And that is the hardest part 
is is cutting is, is the cutting that I have to do um, to, to to make these stories uh, fit for a young reader because often there's a lot of content which isn't at all suitable. So um, it may just be a lot of uh, description. There may be characters that are not appropriate. They'll all you know there may well be aspects um, of behaviour that are not appropriate for, uh, you know for a contemporary reader. So there's a lot of of uh, culling also of any sort of subplots and things like that. But the stories also, you know, they, as you say, they, 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 most of them are oral stories from, from a long time ago where life was very different and societies were different and attitudes towards women were different, towards children, towards life and death. Um, so I have to weed through those aspects of the stories and pull out what I think is worth sharing now um, and sometimes represent aspects of the story in a more um, uh, amenable way, uh, more acceptable way. So there, there's quite a complex job in approaching each story, um, but I'll be attracted to each one because there'll be a nugget of something really, um, you know, that makes me excited and or makes me laugh, that, that, that feels really valuable, that feels like a little bit of, of, of treasure that I want to pass on and share. Portal Kids is proud to showcase a diverse list of books centered on recognizing and calling out white supremacy and racism. For a full list of Cordo titles and resources that address issues of equity and anti-racism, please visit cordonos.com forward slash r forward slash anti-racist kids. That's Q-U-A-R-T-O-K-N-O-W-S dot com forward slash r forward slash anti-racist kids. So how did you become the author of this series to begin with? And did you ever envision it becoming what it is? I certainly didn't envisage it becoming what it is. No, no, I mean, how amazing. Um, uh, you know, I can't remember now. I know that Quarto, um, I had worked with the editors at Quarto uh, in a previous life elsewhere. So I already had a good relationship with them. And uh, they approached me uh, to do a year full of stories. Um, and it had a particular remit, that first book, because we were looking at stories relating to feast days and festivals and events throughout the year. And something that maybe would be particularly helpful in school. So I've got a lot of, uh, of school friends, you know, friends who are teachers and a wonderful friend who's a headmistress who was very helpful to me. And we talked a lot about um, how stories are used in the curriculum, how they're used uh, in schools. And so that I, I very much had uh, schools in my, obviously then it wasn't written just for school, but I, it, it was very helpful to have that, that structure and that, that um, uh, knowledge about what would be helpful. So uh, that, that had various different agendas, if you like, a year full of stories. First and foremost, it had to be a cracking good book of stories, um, mm. but also uh, really, yeah, offering something of value that, um, that could be uh, used in school. I can just picture you going and visiting these schools and kids are like, can you do 50 stories about cats now? Can you do 50 <laughs> stories about rainbows? I'm your man. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what you're working on next. Well, I've just finished um, uh, uh, The World Full of Nature Stories which has been wonderful. It's a marvellous illustrator, Hannah Bess Ross, and um, all sorts of uh, gorgeous stories about trees and flowers and 
animals and all sorts of wonderful things, fog, ice, you name it, the natural world's packed in there in those 50 stories. And I am shortly going to start on a winter world full of stories, which I'm very, very excited about. Um, I mean, who doesn't like to plunge themselves into a wintry world? So um, I've already started collecting some stories and I shall be getting, getting started on that soon. I can't wait. As a series or even as individual titles, what do you hope that kids are going to take away from your books? A lot of kids are able to read these books independently, which is so exciting. So why do you think titles like these, these sort of segmented stories are so valuable for young children? And what do you hope kids will take away from their experiences with your books? Well, I think, as you say, the sort of segmented, the themed books um, I think starting to give us quite a, a, a variety, a range. So some children will be um, keen on the spooky stories and others won't. Some will be very keen on animals, you know, others nature. So I think what's lovely now is that we're getting enough of a range of, of, of themes that hopefully there'll be something for everybody. But of course, hopefully when you open the book, in each book, there should be something for everybody too. And I, what I hope... I hope that children will and readers will find that there are universal truths and wisdoms in these stories and shared humor that stretches across time and across space. So something that made a child laugh in, in North Africa uh, 500 years ago can make somebody in Spain laugh in 2021. Something that felt true to a child in, in Russia a uh, hundred years ago will feel true, you know, to somebody in Chile. So that, that I think, I hope, even if they don't consciously pick up on that, I hope that the stories will speak to them because they deliver some universal wisdom, some universal truths about what is good, about what is right and fair. You know, I work very hard to choose stories that are imbued with those sorts of values, although hopefully not preachy stories. Um, and so I hope that they will identify, um, and I also hope that, that these books will lead them on then to maybe look up, find out where the stories came from, look up the animals that they've never heard of before. You know, I hope there's an awful lot of of rich material in these stories. And in fact, for a year full of stories, I wrote some writing prompts for all the 50 tales in the book. Oh, because wow. I, yeah, I, I, you know, things like, for instance, um, uh, suggestions of writing a story from another character's point of view, or maybe turning a story, writing a news report about what happens in the story, or a shopping list of things that one of the characters needs, or turning one of the stories into a play. You know, there are lots of things you can do with these stories. Um, they're, they're full of possibilities and potential. You know, I would love to spend every day in the classroom. There's lots I could, I could, I could grow when it comes to creative writing, for instance, with these stories. And the same if it came to art work, um, you know, there are all sorts of things that you could take and run with. So I hope that they will feel the feel those sort of universal uh, values in the stories and also maybe be inspired to do a little bit of writing themselves. That's what I would love that. That would be marvelous. That's the goal, isn't it? Mm. You are pretty blessed because each of these, almost every single one is illustrated by a different illustrator with a couple of exceptions. What is it like for you to create these stories, send them off to the editor and then just watch them turn into a book? 
Yeah, it's a little bit more interactive than that in that, you know, I feel that I, because there's so much research, I do so much research with the stories. You know, I can't just uh, open a book, find a story from a culture I'm completely unfamiliar with and make it my own and retell it. I couldn't possibly do that. You know, I must, you know, have some understanding of the culture you know the homeland of that story because there'll be all sorts of, of aspects of that story that are very particular that I couldn't possibly um and you know I couldn't understand the significance of elements in the story unless I really made sure that I that, that I looked into that and in, in doing that of course I discover that you know a certain culture they'll they'll make this type of basket or that type of basket these people wear birch bark shoes these people behaved in this way or that way this was significant so I feed that back to the illustrators as best I can to give them as much visual material um, so that they will you know they will be informed enough to you know reflect that in the illustrations now it may or may not come out in the illustrations but they will they will know they you know they will have that visual information so um we do work you know story by story as we go along um i look at the roughs as they come in and, and make comments and um and again you know try and, and, and feedback as much useful information as i can and then yes it's absolutely thrilling to see story by story to see the book come together and um as we go along i print them all out and i make myself a tiny little mock-up book and i keep adding to it and adding to it until at last i can hold this little lovely little you know tiny little version of the book in my hand and then i just have to wait until it comes through the post but um yes it's very exciting indeed I love that. What do you end up doing with the little versions of the book? Oh, I keep those. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. Whenever you adopt some mice or something, you can give them tiny little copies of the book. <laughs> well, I started as an illustrator myself. So, um, you know, I, I'm particularly keen on the illustrations. That's what I did when I first started, you know, over 30 years ago now in publishing, I was an illustrator. So, um, you know, I, I've got a particularly you know, keen eye on the pictures. Angela, this has been an absolute delight. Before we wrap up our time together, I wanted to ask you just one final question. It's something I ask everyone who stops by the podcast. What makes you love a book? What draws you in? What pulls you back to that title again and again? Gosh, well, I guess being lost in it. If, if, I, if I'm lost in a book, then I'm happy. You know, if the rest of the world falls away, whether it's a short story, whatever it might be, I just want to be taken somewhere new. I want to be shown something new. I want to be made to feel something new. And then, you know, in that way, you extend beyond yourself, don't you? So to be lost in a book, whatever it might be, that's, that makes it a great story for me. That is absolutely beautiful. And I hope when you get lost in the stories, you can take your tiny little books with you. <laughs> I should do that <laughs> thank you again so much Angela this has been a delight thank you thank you so much for listening to our chat with Angela McAllister A Bedtime Full of Stories is available online and in bookstores and libraries worldwide November 9th We'd love to see you subscribe to Cardo Kids Cast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find all available episodes at anchor.fm slash Cast. And hey, if you're enjoying Cardo Kids Cast, we'd be grateful if you left a review so others can hear about it too. Special thanks to Scott Holmes for our theme music, Steve Roth for his promotional vocal stylings, Angela McAllister for stopping by to talk to us, and of course you, the listener, for tuning in. Until next time.